0: Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. so if you are here for the first time and you're wondering what we're doing here, we are uh, studying this thing called um, an unhurried life. And basically the general idea is that we, we, we unpack and reveal these rhythms of life that were given to us from the beginning. And sometimes they get muddled, sometimes they get changed by, by culture, sometimes we lose track of how we are supposed to function as human beings. And that sort of diminishes our opportunity to flourish as human beings. Uh, so it's called An Unhurried Life. Right now we're on week two of studying rest. So we're doing four weeks of rest, two weeks of work. And the reason we're doing that is compensating for the natural bend of our society to work, 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 work. Does that make sense? So today the title of it is The, the Theology of Sabbath, right? And, you know, it's sort of a – every once, every once in a while, especially if you're – not familiar with the word theology, it sounds like a very sort of heady, um, cerebral thing, and you go, oh my gosh, we're going to just be bored to death, right? But theology, the way I see it, is really digging deep enough so that we can discover how this life really works. The theology of Sabbath is to reveal the the God-given rhythms of life for all of us. Right, so if you are sort of trying to see, figure out if you're interested in this at all, let me give you a list of things, uh, reasons why you may need a Sabbath. Are you ready for this? Ready for this? Okay, you may need a Sabbath if you live a parallel life with your children. You know, when you just don't intersect, right? They go to school, they have activities, you have work. It's just this parallel life feeling. You may need a Sabbath if you feel uncomfortable being left alone with your thoughts. Think about it. let that sink in, okay? You may need a Sabbath If you laugh sarcastically at the term passion project, because you're so busy that you can't even, you have no margin whatsoever, right? Uh, You may need a Sabbath if your original ideas remain just that. You know, you want to do that thing, write that thing, create that thing, start that thing, and they just remain in theory. You may need a Sabbath if you feel guilty when you do nothing, You may need a Sabbath if you wake up at night worrying about money. You may need a Sabbath if you haven't had a date with your spouse in months. You may need a Sabbath if you have forgotten how wonder feels like. You may need a Sabbath if you have accepted anxiety as a constant in your life. You may need a Sabbath if sometimes you feel like a slave while making quite a decent living anyway. Maybe a Sabbath, if you desperately long for delight. Those are just some of the reasons that might give you a little motivation, a little incentive, maybe cut to the core of things for you, right? And the thing is, we think about the patterns of life and how we live our life. And as Christians, a lot of the times... We, especially if you've been in, in the faith for a while, you might feel like you've gotten a hold of how things should work. But to be honest with you, Christians are not immune from these things. We live within the sense, with a the, with the sense of anxiety. We live parallel lives with the kids. We live in a life where you go, I haven't had a date with my wife in six months. We're not immune. Even those of us who are sort of supposed to be examples to others on how to live, because that's what the Bible calls leaders to be, you know, to live it out so others can imitate you. In the last year, about 38% of pastors in America want to quit. That's like almost, that's more than a third. Want to just quit, leave, change vocation, right, because of their state. Right, and I think some of that—you uh, know—a lot of times people that do ministry, you know, especially if they're full-time in ministry, things like that, you know, you, you know, you sort of assume you go, well, that's like a—that's a nice, cushy job, right? You sit around, you drink coffee, you read your Bible, you write a sermon, in a leisurely way. Then you show up on Sunday, smile, and then tell everybody how to live, and everybody else is stressed out, and you can't relate, right? You know. Um, so and it's actually, well, that's how I live, but everybody else doesn't live like that at all, you know, in, in the ministry. That's not true, right? But in reality, you know, especially if you're in the ministry and you're doing that full time, you are the CEO, the COO, you're the community organizer, the counselor, the trainer, you do funerals, you do weddings, people ask you to do these things, you're expected. And the pressures are quite significant, especially if you can't Disconnect from your job at home because this is your life. This is your community. This is your love. And every wound and every journey is ingrained in you, right? So pray for pastors. Pray for those who lead small groups. Pray for those who lead ministries in the church because that's the burden. I was uh, having lunch with an an old friend um, who I invested in and, and helped him. Uh, become a Christian years ago. His name is uh, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Rodriguez. I don't know if you remember C-Rod. So I was have lunch with him, and he's an amazing guy, and I'm so proud of him. He's leading um, a recovery ministry in the church now and doing really, really well, and he shared with me that two people, two pastors he knew in the last year or so committed suicide. Um, <clears throat> now, I'll tell you all of this to paint a picture that you are more fragile, more anxious, more in need of this than you think, you know? We all are. In fact, 90% of us check the phone first upon waking up, and I'm one of them, and I'm trying to get rid of that habit, right? 37% of us take fewer than seven days a week of vacation. 37% of us in America. 14% of us take more than two weeks a year. Only 14% take more than two two weeks a year of vacation. 20% of us stay in touch with the office while on vacation which should be a mortal sin, sort of illegal, I think. <laughs> you know, um, you know the, the, the nation in the world that is more associated with hard work, intense, and in, intense work culture, are the Japanese. And Japanese have a word for death by work. They actually have a term for this. The term is karoshi. Look it up. It's a real thing, right? Well, here's guess what? Americans, we work, on average, 137 hours a year more than the Japanese, right? 137 hours a year, 260 hours a year more than the British and 499 more than the French. But the French are the French, right? They don't count. I think the Spanish, the Portuguese, the Italians didn't even make it into the graph, (laughs) you know? They're like living the dream, going, you guys are crazy, <laughs> you know. But the truth is, in our culture, work is venerated, right? right. And uh, the number one answer in America, and you know this even from the fellowship, you'll walk out and you say, how are you? The number one answer is busy. Is busy. As a matter of fact, I've become so cognizant of this reality that I'm so influenced by, by this idolatry of work that when people ask me, and I'm actually, I am busy because I have two jobs, I have multiple projects I would like to think of myself as this guy who grew up overseas and looks at the American culture and goes, you guys are out of your mind, I will not stand for this but I'm much more American then I care to admit. I'm very, very American when it comes to work because I love to work. I enjoy work. I flourish in work. I, only have, I always have like multiple projects going on at the same time. I just really love it. So I really need this. I really, really need this. And I've been cognizant of the fact when people say, how are you, to so not say I'm busy and give a little bit more nuanced of an answer. Less of an idolatrous answer, because when we say say in America, I'm busy, what we're saying is I matter. As a matter of fact, I've been practicing the Sabbath uh, for over a decade. I think I'm calculating 10, 10, 12 years, maybe 13 years uh, with with Deb. And... um, I, uh, almost every Sabbath I go for a long walk, and I read something about the Sabbath. So I have a pile of books that I reread. Then I add new books and stuff like that, right? So this one, this one week, um, I'm walking uh, on the Green Belt, and I'm, uh, I need, and the idea is, that, is to sort of soak soak it in, soak the Sabbath theology, the understanding of how it works, why it's important, why is it life-giving every Saturday so your, your mind gets reoriented, right? So I'm walking around in the Greenbelt, and I'm going, ah, I, want, I want to listen something. I want to not read because I'm walking, but I'm going to listen to something about the Sabbath. So I'm literally just in the woods looking for a podcast, right? So I found this podcast episode, um, and it was fantastic, and it was so inspiring, and then I realized that these, this church called Bridgetown Church, in is, I think it's in Portland. And uh, it's that they have a whole series of like six weeks, I think, they were doing. And I caught myself rep- being really challenged and convicted by this because I have been practicing this for over a decade. It has changed my life. I, I sort of speak of it. I mention it here and there. Uh, I've done workshops on it. I've done even one sermon on it right here and there. But I've never in my heart of hearts believed that my community could adopt this as a lifestyle. That's how faithless I was. And I didn't realize that until that moment because I go, okay, wait a minute. A Christian church can do a series and try to change their own culture about this particular thing. That blows me away. And that's, I came to, you know, Elias, and I said, Elias, why don't we do a series? I mean, I heard this Bridgetown thing, and of course, Elias knows Bridgetown, knows about the series, of course, and knows everything, right? <laughs> uh, he's like, yeah, let's do it. So I'm going to show you. So this is the Bridgetown podcast. If you find it and um, and you scroll back to, like, 2019, right before the pandemic, that, that there's a series. But there's this is an amazing church, and actually, they teach probably, probably one of the best Places that teaches about the cultural context of our time and how Christians should navigate it in a faithful way so If you want to look it up, it's fantastic stuff, right? So a lot of the so this series was inspired by this series, right? So we stole a lot from it. I at least I did and uh, And uh, a lot of the research some of the stuff and obviously I've read about the Sabbath for a full decade So there's all kinds of stuff to to unpack that I know already um, Here's another. Here's another. Another thing before we go into scripture, into the actual theology of the Sabbath, that I want you to to consider. We all seek this this state of. We all seek and crave for the state of peace and balance and joy. Right. In my mind, the theology of that is that we remember the Garden in Genesis. That we all know in our bones that this is how we were designed to be. In perfect unity and harmony with the world around us, with our God, our creator. And we want to go back. But we seek for that happiness, right? The pursuit of happiness is also, you know, in the bones of American culture. What we do is pursue it and we don't realize that we have to live in a way that it just springs from the inside out. And part of the things that distract us is the very thing that, thing that blesses us. See, we have, been, we have been fortunate enough to build the most efficient, rich, bountiful, stable society in the world, in the history of humanity, in America. We have such stability, st- such flourishing economically, right? Um, we don't, we haven't seen war in, 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 ever actually, you know, after the civil war in the continental U.S. That we sort of have grown to rely on that as a source of happiness and not our creator. And which is amazing and we should be grateful for this, for these blessings. But what we need to understand is that our happy, a happy person isn't somebody who is happy all the time. A happy person is somebody who can effortlessly interpret events in a way and not lose the peace. So when we rely on outside sources of stability and happiness and sort of, yeah, things are going to continue to go well because we have been in this place, right, for a while. All it takes is one snow snow apocalypse to to cure us of the illusion that we're in a stable place. Remember that? One event, just a few days of snow and things ended, civilization ended. Did you notice that? Didn't even take a war. It takes just a few days of snow for us to go, wait a minute, we're not secure? We don't have any water? My AC went out? You know, in the summer for five days, the world ends? Does that make sense? We are so reliant on on sources that are in the very nature unstable and fragile. And because of that, we're not reliant on our God. And the Sabbath theology is the practice, the contemplation, the meditation, the immersion into the reality that our our strength is our God, our source of life is our God, our, our Creator helped us and created us to be a certain way. That is what we're trying to uncover here. And that gives us the opportunity, all of us here, to be truly rooted, to be truly Building on on stone, on a foundation that is unshakable. And become immune to the instabilities that are inherent to life on earth. That is the very, that's the scale of what we're doing here. And to me, this is an act of repentance for my community, where I'm trying to lobby my community and actually believe that our culture can change. Does that make sense? So let's go to Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. That's the first verse. That is the foundational verse. He created the heavens and the earth. That is the foundation of everything. And going back to that, even contemplating on this one verse can change the way you live your life. That there was a beginning. And there's two things in this world on a highest level. The creator and creation. And you are not the creator. You're creation. I am creation. And if you, if you just get that on a deep level, that you are not God, your life will be better. Just one, one thing, right? Let's continue. If you skip to verse 31, here's what it says. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heaven and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had had done. So God, the Bible describes this, this vast, epic story of creation. In the beginning, God. And then it describes this very interesting thing. That there's a seventh day. And you you know, you, we don't have to go into the literal, how literal this is, right? But on this moment of time, God rested. And when the Bible talks about resting, he doesn't say, it, it doesn't mean... Man, I'm like super tired. I just created the the known universe. What What it means, the word that it describes is that God delighted at the completeness of the work. That's rest, does that make sense? Like have you ever done a project where you like carve in wood or you write a poem or you build a shed or something like that, you know? And it takes effort and time and care and creativity. And then you just put the final touch and you go, there it is. Right? There it is. That is the Sabbath for God. Does that make sense? It's a sense of completion, of fullness, right? You know, when, the, when Genesis says God has finished the work that he has been doing, the rabbis of course this is an ongoing discussion which is a beautiful thing in jewish tradition they postulate that on this day he created a thing called manuhah which is the spirit of the sabbath so on this sabbath day the spirit of the sabbath sabbath menuha, was created it's a celebration in delight that's what it means right a completeness now, how much completeness in that ah, all is well with this world do you feel on a regular basis as a human being? If you're honest with yourself, right? See, you know, when I was first exploring this, I was in my early 40s, and what, I've, what I sort of became this profound realization, a conviction, a almost like a restless realization for me, that although I had seen so much in this world i've traveled so much in this world i've done so much of this world in this world i was incomplete that sense of manuha eluded me i just didn't have that there was a restlessness there was this dissatisfaction in the very core of my soul right um, i was not fully present with my family with the people i loved you know how you know there's a difference between you being in the same room with someone or going on a road trip or meeting for lunch and you being fully present with them and delighting in them and seeing them and experiencing them. There's a difference. So I felt, what I felt was that I was around my family, around my friends all the time, but my mind was somewhere else. It was not completely there, you know? Um, Even my work, I was doing my work and it was there was something missing even in my work. Um, so then I basically, I stumbled upon a book. I was just restless, searching. Um, so I dove deep into the spiritual disciplines. And one of the first things I did is that I, that I explored prayer and the, the, the art of prayer. for. And I basically told Deb, I'm not going to stop. Now, by that time, A, I was a Christian for more than, more than a decade. B, I was in ministry leading people in, in, in ministry. So I'm supposed to know what I'm doing you know, in theory. But I felt like my prayer was not even there, right? I was not present with my God. So I embarked on this sort of quest, and, and I said, I'm going to read everything I can, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to learn. I'm going to rebuild. my, I'm going to go to conferences. I'll do whatever it takes, but I want to learn how to pray pray until the time where I feel like I'm aligned with my God, and there's a completeness there. There's a presence there. So I embarked on that journey. It took me like three years to relearn how to pray, But it stuck with me, as a matter of fact, the fruit of that realignment is the vision to start a new church called Tribe. And the other thing that I learned, that I sort of stumbled upon, is this little book by this guy, Dan Ellender, who's also in the, I think he's in Seattle, and uh, it's this one. It's called um, Sabbath, the Ancient Practices. And until that moment, until I read that book, I didn't realize that Christians could actually even practice the Sabbath. I thought it was like an old-timey Jewish thing. And uh, and and I read this book, and it changed my life. So I started. That's sort of what Im- that, that spark that ign- that ignited this quest for the spiritual discipline of Sabbath. And um, it changed my life. It really, really did. Um, and as I, as I say, some of the better things I've done with my life um, came sprung up sprung out of this practice that is a weekly practice so let me uh, quote from that book by dan Ellender, just to give you a little bit more context and nuance here's what he says he says the sabbath is an invitation to enter delight the sabbath when experienced as god intended is the best day of our lives without question or thought it is the best day of the week it is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex with your spouse, if you have a spouse, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. I was that concept is a revolution. For many of us, it was for me. And here's, and here's why it is a revolution. It's, he says, few people are willing to enter the Sabbath day and sanctify it to make it holy. Because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. Let that sink in, brothers and sisters. Let that sink in as a profound truth. A full day of delight is unbearable to us. That's how conditioned we are. We're not even open to it as an option, as a possibility, as a state of being. And if we just allow ourselves to be open to it, God can rush into your heart, rush into your life, and change it, transform it from the inside out. That is the power of the Sabbath, and I've been a recipient, a grateful recipient of this for over a decade. And honestly, I'm just heartbroken when I'm working on this because I go, how did I not, how did I not you know, lobby for this with my own people, you know. And the reason for that is that, is that I don't believe in my core of course, and I need to repent of this, that people are open to it. You know, just that's how prevalent the other thing is, the unsabbath type of living. I remember, um, you know, when you enter the Sabbath, you know, remember, I, I don't know, if you're if you not here, there's a, Graph that's, that's called the J curve, right? So it's you, you you get excited about the Sabbath and you go, oh, this is cool, delight, ex- relaxation. I should I should go for this. This is great. And then you start over here, and then you minutes you start wor- you know start actually implementing this, the world conspires against you. Your children conspire against you. Your boss and your schedule conspire against you. And you feel an immediate resistance to, in, to incorporating to the, into this life. And your your journey goes from here to here immediately. It basically goes, it gets worse before it becomes better. But then if you persist, then if you remain and in, in dwell in it and just sort of don't give up, it goes like this and to the right, all the way up, right? And it changes your life forever. But that dip is the the danger zone, right? Because you just give up. You're stressed out. You go, you're supposed to be happy and relaxed and you're stressed out, angry and fighting with your wife. That's the result of the Sabbath sometimes. It's just true, right? Uh, because, because, Because the enemy will fight. When the enemy is not attacking you, it's because you're not even a threat to the enemy. He wants to keep you asleep, unaware, unflourishing. But if you Embrace this the enemy will attack. I can promise you this So after the J curve, you know, I was coming out of it And I remember this moment of time and I, I bring it up and sometimes in sermons to talk to Deb about this as as a treasured memory for me uh, So we would have we would have we have the Sabbath at the time it was Mondays and we would call them Malibu Mondays, right? And then it was actually not even a Malibu Monday. One of these, it was like a special time. We went to Santa Barbara, which is like a short drive from the place we lived in. A place we lived in L.A. And we're at the beach with our children. The children are playing, running around, and we're sitting on this, you know, towel or whatever. And and I turn to Deb and I go, "Honey, I'm here." And she goes, <laughs> "She goes, yeah, I know. You know, I, I'm looking at you." Uh, and I go, "No, no, and that's not what I mean." I said, "I'm present." Like, my whole self is here, with you. Like, I have no thoughts about the to-do list. I don't want to be anywhere else. I'm not anxious about tomorrow. I'm present with you. And it was transformational. And it's the remarkable thing for me is that we live our lives, so much of our lives, without having, even experiencing that. And we love our children, and we love our spouses, and we love our friends, and we're just not there with them. Does that make sense? Think about this in the scripture in Genesis, we're talking back to the theology, and the theology is the very essence of how the world really works. That's why we need to care about theology. Is that God blessed? the seventh day and made it holy." Okay, so let me, let me get this straight. He blessed the creation, right? He blessed humans and the animals and creation itself. And then he blessed a day. That's what it says. It blessed, it blessed, he blessed a day. Not a thing, but a day. There's a, there's a rabbinic tradition um, called the principle of first mention. And basically, the way they, they view it is that if a word is first mentioned in Scripture, there's a special weight and power to it. Well, the first time the, wor- the word holy is mentioned, it's in relation to the Sabbath. God made holy a time. Now this, to the early readers, at the time where, where most of the world was a, a world of believers in the supernatural, and actually still is, if you look at statistically, right? It's just the Western slice of the world has sort of moved on and if you look at everybody else as unenlightened, right? But at the time, it was, it was everybody. And at the time, even if you were not Jewish, there were places that, was, that were holy. A mountain, a hill, a, a a temple, was holy. So at the time when people were reading this, they go, wait a minute. A place? It's not a place. It's a it's a time. That's new, right? Yeah, I, Abraham H- Heschel, who is sort of the the father of essentially modern Sabbathing. And we're going to recommend his book in a later time. I think maybe is going to bring it up. It's called The Sabbath. Ibram Heschel, he says this, The Sabbaths the Sabbath are our greatest cathedrals and architecture and time. Now, if you've ever been to a great cathedral, there's some of them in, um, here in the U.S. that are beautiful. Uh, a lot of them that are the most grand are, are probably in Europe. Uh, but if, you want, if you've, you know, I used to, in my youth, Dismiss them and go. Wow, what a waste of money, man! That's like they're trying to like oppress the people, and, you know. Um, and then I've changed. My, actually, I've changed my mind as I matured because I've realized what they were trying to do is create a place so beautiful that they would elevate the human soul. At the time, where most people couldn't read, so the visual part was really important. Um, and you walk into a cathedral, and you, if you've been in Europe to any, any of the places like Paris or Florence or Rome, you walk into them and the energy shifts inside of you. Right? That's what Abraham Heschel is is talking about with the day. Imagine if it's a day and the energy shifts inside of you. And you're filled just because the day has arrived. You're filled with awe. How would that be for you? How much would that you enjoy that, right? So, the, the great revolutionary thought here is that you don't have to go anywhere to experience that. You don't, have to do, you don't have to go to Jerusalem, right? You don't have to do this trip. You don't have to spend this money. You don't have to buy this stuff. All you have to do to, to get there to this cathedral is to stop. <laughs> Does that blow your mind? All you have to do is to stop. The word Sabbath literally means stop. Okay, so if we want to unpack this a little bit more in the theology of the Sabbath, a lot of it is connected to the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus, if you're new to the Bible, is this grand epic tale of Israel, this whole nation. Some calculated it's up to two and a half million people that were enslaved in Egypt and through the presence of God working through his people, like Moses and Aaron and others, two and a half million people supernaturally are liberated from slavery in the most powerful, from the most powerful power of the time in Egypt and Pharaoh. And they're taken through open waters, uh, the opening of waters, miraculously saved, and, and gone into the desert. And then in the desert, it's the most immersive and complete and utter dependence of a people from God. Because in the desert, there is nothing. That's why it's called a desert. And people need a lot of things to live and flourish and survive. right? They need water, they need shelter, they need, they need a certain level of temperature, they need all kinds of things. right? And these people, these 2.5 million people, are walking in the desert and they're completely provided for by God. And that's where the Sabbath becomes an immersive experience for them. In in Exodus 16, verse 27, the backstory, I'll tell you the backstory before that, is that food was provided from the sky. Okay? From the sky. Full dependence. You don't have to do anything for it. The food will appear in the morning as little flakes on the ground that you collect. It's called the manna. That's how they ate. But the, God made it a special thing. So that's already provision, right? Complete provision. You have to work for it. But then he says, I'll give you double the manna on a Friday so that you don't have to even collect it on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, right? He says, I'll double. So don't collect more than you need because... God was teaching a whole nation how to be completely and utterly dependent on him alone. And here's what happened. Um, in verses 27 to, seven, to 30, the, you know, the A-types you know, in the room will understand, Oh, there's more. I'll go get it. Nevertheless, some of the people <laughs> went out to the seventh day to gather it. But they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So, So think about that, right? You're fully and utterly dependent anyway, which is the reality even for all of us in America, in the most prosperous society in the world. We're fully and utterly dependent of, on, on God. And, and what we are built, we have built as a, as a free market, capitalist, free society, all of those things that are amazing things that, that, that we enjoy, all of, that, all of those things were given us by the grace of God. That's what we believe. If you believe that, you'll be dependent on God. And the theology of the Sabbath is that, look, you are utterly and completely dependent on on your God on all five days and all six days, and on the seventh day, he'll create a cathedral in time for you so that you you demonstrate it back to God with your body, with your full self. You stop producing and see what he does. That's what he's inviting all of us in. And for the, all of us who have this, the same, you know, I mentioned the, the the kiss of death, the six words that are a kiss of death for anybody who wants to grow is, it's easy for you to say. Those of you who are, who are thinking, there's no way, because my job, my boss, my career, my financial situation, my kids, whatever. That's, God is inviting you like he invited those people that were hustling, right, on the Sabbath, going, Huh, I'll get a little extra. And he couldn't find, they couldn't find anything. He, he's inviting you to that experience. He's inviting you to, to test him that he is good. He's inviting you for alignment and rest. That's the theology of the Sabbath. The theology is that s- test him and see what he does. You know, there's logistical, there's all kinds of objections in your mind. You know, it's super stressful, actually, to Sabbath. I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've tried. Um, But if you dig deeper into this, it will change your life. And one of the things that it will change is this. You You will experience more out of the things that you think you can do. Supernaturally. You do less, you get more. How does that work? A, supernaturally. Have you, have you ever let go of something, and then some things happen anyway? That. Supernaturally, just supernaturally, from heaven. You'll get a raise, right? You'll get a shift of some sort, etc. And two, not supernaturally, but naturally. And this is how it works. If you rest, if you delight, a happier, more well-adjusted person works better than the other, the other days. That's how it, that's how it works. You do more quality work because work is a big part of God's plan as well for you, right? So you just work better, work deeper, work more efficiently, work more joyfully. You know who people wanna work with? A joyful person. You know who people don't want to work with? A stressed out person. That's how it works, right? Okay, so before we pray for communion, I'm leaning in here, right? And as as I, as I said before, this is not a obligation for any of us, right? Um, this is an invitation, right? There's a moral law, uh, which is the obligation of a Christian of somebody who submits to God, and there's an invitation to maturity and flourishing, which is optional, which basically means you can say no anytime you want. But here's um, here's a practical. Here, pick a day. What's your Sabbath going to be like? How long is it going to go for? Prepare for it. Ironically, I mean, in, in the Jewish tradition, you, have, you prepare for Friday night on Friday, right? Or on Thursday or Friday. You prepare for the Sabbath. What is that you need to do so that you have, actually have a restful day? Right. what do you do? So my Fridays are usually hectic because of that. Because I go, okay, 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 okay. This is awesome. I'm excited about the Sabbath. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to eliminate anything that can mess up my Sabbath. Right? You, you put extra work in on Friday to make sure that you know you communicate with your spouse. You go, you know, for the for the for the longest time, I messed up our Sabbath in our family because I would go, I would treat it as my Sabbath not our Sabbath, and I would literally, it would slip, I use the terminology, and Deb would catch me, Deb is a mature, godly woman, Uh, you know, I married up, and she would, uh, uh, because I would get frustrated, like, this is, we we were discussing something, too, I go, this is going to mess up my Sabbath, and she would go, what did you say? (laughs) This is going to mess up my Sabbath. No, honey, it's our Sabbath. Let's talk about that, right? So communication is a key thing here, if you're married, right? Prepare. Commit, you know, survive the J-curve. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Always does, right? And then watch God work in your life. And watch him reveal to you things that you didn't think possible, give you the levels of joy and peace and alignment and presence that you didn't think possible. Watch him work. And when you do, repeat, repeat. Repeat. Um, and honestly, not every Sabbath is going to be a great Sabbath for you. Um, but every sa- Sabbath you try. And you commit to it. You're, it's not perfection. It's devotion that matters here. You devote yourself to the Sabbath as a spiritual practice. There's a reason, like if you can think of spiritual practices and disciplines, you know it's the only um, day a spiritual practice actually mentioned in the 10th commandment, in the 10 commandments. It's the only one. And the reason, well, do you go why is this why is that important? Well, there's a reason for it, right? All of those other things in the 10 commandments are still actually valid. Like it's still not cool to kill. Or covet, right? You know, does that make sense? Or to practice idolatry still not cool. So all of these things are actually core moral laws of God laid out. And the only spiritual practice i actually mentioned there is the Sabbath, and I wonder why. And it's, it's sort of sandwiched between your relationship with God and your relationship with people. Right in the middle is the Sabbath, because it catalyzes all of this stuff and aligns yourself with God so you can align yourself with people. Let's pray.